0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Karen and I were watching this movie, Karen's my wife, of soon to be 48 years. That's right. Next month, amazing. Amazing. Feels like two years for me. Don't ask her how many. And uh, But we were watching this movie. It was one of these intense movies. You, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of like an independent film deal where uh, you, you sit down to watch a movie. And you think this is going to be light and airy. And then all of a sudden it has like four characters in the whole movie. And every single one of them are like these intense people. And there's so much going on. But you get pulled into it. And suddenly, you start seeing maybe yourself or, or maybe family or friends in it. In this particular movie, there was, there was a, this was set in the early '60s and uh, or late '50s. And there was a father who just could not kind of keep a job. Uh, he he was he had a you know he was a social guy. He was able to talk with anyone and make friends and spend so much time with people, uh, but he just couldn't keep a job either because he was so social that he didn't get the job done, or that once he was corrected, it didn't go well with him, and so he quit the job, and they were bouncing from one town to the next, and then there was the wife who was kind of, to, to us, kind of was this, uh, she like had aspirations of of a glitzy life, and a wonderful life, and traveling, and going to parties, and and all of this, and now here she was, stuck in this in this situation, we're bouncing from town to town, and, and then they had a 13-year-old son in the middle of this. And as the story unfolds, you begin to see, begin to see that, whereas the father is up and down with the way he is, and then you see the wife, and she's up and down with her struggles and all, but you look at the young man in the middle, and he is extremely stable too stable. He's very much the glue that is trying to hold this a crazy constellation of feelings and relationship together. And it's no surprise, I don't think, if we're honest, any of us, that our family structures, our family backgrounds, they all have an enormous amount of weight and into... The people that we become, and not just the people that we become, but the people that we actually are right now, as well as the people we're becoming—they have a weight. Now that's good, and that's bad, and that's ugly, right? I mean, it's, there's so many good parts about that. So don't don't take this as man. Tim's a Debbie Downer this morning, man. He's just like, <laughs> wow, this is like really rough. This is terrible. No, there's good news in here, okay? So, but but it's just like so for. For a while now, I, I've been sensing that you know I, I like I like to look straight through the scripture and plow through it and things like that, but this the, the whole weight of how our structures, our family structures, our social structures and all, the way that they feed into our own stability, emotional, spiritual, and health has concerned me. It concerns me for me. <laughs> it concerns me for all of us. And uh, and so I thought we we're going to spend some time here over the next few weeks looking at uh, family and different parts. And this doesn't, I mean, every everybody in here is a part of a family and or was a part of a family, is a part of a family. And so I, I called it family and I uh, had function because I started thinking about Gatherings and how sometimes when we get with our families, have you ever noticed how suddenly you take on? Have you ever noticed how you begin to act differently when you're with family? Like if you're with someone, even if you don't even notice it, and all of a sudden you're being pulled back into this somewhat, this influence. And uh, yeah, you're different, you're an adult, you're a grown man or woman, and you're like, I'm taking charge of my life, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I'm moving in, but all of a sudden, before you know it, I mean, you're just taking on these, like, and, and, and you know, if the Lord is gracious to you, you see it. If he's gracious to you, you go, what the heck, you know, <laughs> the time, you, and so, I think the Lord has a lot to share with us, and to help with us, and I am concerned about our culture. I'm concerned about our community. Uh, I'm concerned about emotional and, and spiritual health in our community. You know, we grew into the people that we are. And it seems that we have to grow into the people we want to be. And And so that that's always been a part of any pastor and any leaders and small group leaders, Bible study people. Uh, we all are wanting to move. We were wanting to grow. We wanted to get better at this thing in life. And so I thought we'd spend some time. Uh, someone told me uh, just two weeks ago that in this area there were three young men who took their life from 16 years of age up to 23 years of age. Um... So we have this whole epidemic of where suicide and depression has reached into not just our communities, but, you know, the church. We're people. We're people. We're people that God has loved. And yes, he's pulled us to himself, but we are human beings. Fraught and susceptible to whatever all of humanity is actually going through. The weaknesses. But the good news is that into that Jesus comes. A person. Fully God. Fully man. But a person who was could not be intimidated. Was what they call actualized. Fully self-actualized. And nobody could push him around. No one could get him off track. And yet he was the kindest. And the most truthful person you could ever be around. How do we become like that? How do we get like that? Where we grow up and we become what the Bible says we are. So we're going to be in this. We may be in this for a while. Okay. Because I'm putting together a series for the fall too. That has to do with being emotionally mature. And, and then dealing also with, uh, with depression and the suicide. All of this. Maybe, maybe we're going to take a look right on into the fall and into the new year with small groups, with everything we can do to try to see how we can be healthier and also how we can be salt and light in our community. And so I invite you to join us here. You know, join us in this journey and be praying for this. This is a a very, uh, I think, relevant topic. And I think it's very much on God's heart for us. And so uh, be praying with me. Some of you know who Lincoln Park is. What's well, it's right or is. I don't know if they're still together or not. Chester Bennington, the lead singer for Lincoln Park. Uh, when he, he killed himself a few years ago. And he, he had this comment. And I watched this interview again this week. He had everything going for him. Everything. But he made this in an interview. He said this. He put his fingers up to his head. And he said, this is a bad neighborhood. And I should not go walking alone. I thought, wow. And there are people that sit in our churches and in our homes and in our businesses every day who feel the same way. And they carry this turmoil and they carry this battle with them. But they have very little hope and they have, don't have anybody to talk to much. And so, where's the church in this? Now, we're not counselors. We're not psychologists. We're not that. But we are the people of God whom God has given a great amount of love to. Who has invested in us the power of the Holy Spirit to come and set the captives free. Who has given us his word, which is absolutely just an amazing, which is why we're going to look at it for some help. And then he's given us the church, one another, to walk together. And so that's where we're headed. We're headed in that direction. I hope you'll go with me. I want to read the scripture from um, Ephesians 4.14 that says, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. By the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, some versions say we will grow up. Grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That was Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. That's our word. I mean, that's the word of the Lord to us. And so would you pray with me as we launch this series today and uh, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to come and to help me and to help us. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us Uh, in our hearts, uh, through our intellect, in our hearts, Lord, and also through your word. Thank you that you speak to us through circumstances, people that you bring across our path, Lord, the struggles and the victories of life that we have and our communities that we love and that we live in and our neighborhoods, Lord, you have placed your church right there in the middle of it with the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we begin this new journey. We pray for your guidance, we pray for your sweet presence in our midst, your healing presence, and your hope, Lord, that we would have for ourselves and our families and our friends. Help me in my weakness today, Lord, as we launch into this. I pray that you bring your word alive. And Jesus, would you come and do a good and beautiful work in all of us, in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you have a fill-in on the back side. If you flip it over, I've got a banner across the top that says this. This is the statement. The Bible is a reality check when it comes to a family mess. Man, if I was to write the Bible, there are some things I wouldn't put in there. Right? I mean, if you're writing a history of your family... Of oh, the people who are a part of your family, would you write every single sin they ever did and then hand it down to your children for like 2,000 years, 3,500 years? Would you say, here, read about your family. This person, you know, blah, blah, blah. But God in his divine wisdom and honesty sees that we get a record of the people of God whom. God loves and is called to himself all the way from the be- beginning up to Christ in the early church. That they were very much people. Fraught with all kinds of things that would, we would never want to even write down. We would not want to document. But yet the Lord in his sovereignty saw that it was a part of the book. The Bible is a reality check when it comes to a family mess. God doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to sneak something over on us. He doesn't do a bait and switch. He is very much clear about where humanity is. And the struggles that it has. And also the hope that he has for it in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we want to we want to stick along with the Bible. Be with the Bible in this. And... Uh, you know, I used to do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the questions I would ask a couple is, how do you feel like, let's say this uh, young person and, well, it doesn't have to be young, but a male, female came in and, and they want to get married. And I would ask one, one prospective spouse, I would go, how do you feel about marrying your mother-in-law? And they would go, I'm not marrying This is, she's so different than just, you know, her family. Okay, then I'd ask the lady, you know, how do you feel about marrying her father? uh, No, you know, we don't, we think that. We think we have distanced ourselves away from the influence, the impact, but it's so deep in us. The good, I'm not taking away the good. You no, know, we've got, I got some great things from my family. You know, I got a great work ethic that comes from my dad who worked. A lot. <laughs> and so, you know, we get good things, but there are also baggage that comes along with it. And uh, in Exodus 20, 4 through 6, these there are these words that I wrestle with, I have to tell you. Like I said, there are things in the Bible I wouldn't put in there. It was me. And so, uh, but I'm not God. And God puts it in there to draw us into a conversation. To draw us in to try to understand where he's coming from. and, And to place us in the proper place for change. And for his love. But right along with the Ten Commandments. While he's talking... And giving the Ten Commandments, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Right now, finish it up, All right, But, showing love to a thousand generations... Of those who love me and keep my commandments, two or three, thousands, right? And it's repeated again in Exodus thirty-four, and it's repeated again in Second Samuel two. That say those same words. It is like God is trying to say, like you don't get far, really far. From the sins of your dad, mom, granddad, grandmom, -grandmom, great-grandmom, great-dad. They are there in some way. Some respect. And of course, like I said, the good news is right there at the end. uh, But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. And so there's speaking of redemption to come in Christ. In the wonderful book. And we may use this as our pattern when we get to September. If you want to get a jump on it. Um. This is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Pete came and talked to a pastor's retreat that I was in about 20 years ago. I'd forgot all about Pete because there were only about 50 of us at this retreat. And and he shared with us for a week and and gave us his book and, you know, like so many things and read it and go, that was great and move on. And then later on, something reminds you. And so I go back and he's got a revised version of this. And so we may use this. If you want to get a jump on it. uh, Maybe come September for our full court, full church press. It's a great book. But he says in the book, family patterns from the past are played out in our present relationships without us necessarily being aware of it. Someone may look like an individual acting along, but they are really players in a larger family system that may go back. As the Bible says, three to four generations. Unfortunately, it's not possible to erase the negative effects of our history. This family history lives inside all of us, especially in those who attempt to bury it. The price we pay for this flight is high. Only the truth sets us free. We're to look at a guy named Joseph in the Bible over in the book of Genesis. Some of you have heard his story. The story starts when he's 17 years old, a teenager. Now, he's the 11th of 12 sons. He is a spoiled brat. He is absolutely one of these people most of us would not want to hang out with. Especially if you're an older brother. I'm the oldest brother in my family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got a favored younger sibling. Whom mom or dad think hung the moon. They can do no wrong. They even get special clothes. Special clothes bought by the actually made by the dad so that he can walk around in front of all of his brothers and go, I'm the favorite. Look at me. I'm the favorite. 17 years old, arrogant, boisterous. And get this, he's very much a spiritual man. He has dreams dreams. And he has these dreams that his brothers are going to eventually bow down to him. Now, he has what we would call a little challenge with self-control, especially verbal control because he tells them that. Right? He tells them that. Then he even goes so far as to say all of creation is eventually going to bow down to me. Well, the brothers who are working very hard out in the field are not really taking kindly to their younger brother. And uh, and so this is Joseph, immature, spoiled, arrogant, unaware of how his behavior is affecting the rest of the family, his brothers. His brothers want to kill him. I mean, they're out doing their job. The dad sends Joseph out. They go check on the brothers. They He finds them eventually. Of course, he wanders around a while in the desert. I think that's really funny, you know, because you read the story. He's like wandering around like, where? I thought they were going to be here. And some guy says, hey, I think they're down there. What a the Bible put those things in there? I don't know. It's like he's wandering and so go that way. And so he finds them. He comes up on them and they absolutely detest him. Now this family has secrets upon secrets upon secrets. Joseph's father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather were all engaged in lying, half-truths, secrecy, jealousy, all of it. And it was just perpetuated from one generation to the next. And you see them having to fall. They're falling into the same sins and the same behavior patterns. Abraham had a favorite son. Isaac had a favorite son. Jacob has two favorite sons. Joseph and Benjamin. You know, There's an old saying that says. I have a friend of mine that quotes this to me all the time. He goes, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets, Tim. You know, like, are you talking to anybody? You talking to anybody? And this family had them. They were there and nobody was talking. Then, you know, they sell. They want to kill their brother. And so, instead of killing him, one of them appeals, no, let's don't kill him. So, they throw him in a pit. These slave traders come by and they sell their 17-year-old brother into slavery. And this group takes Joseph and then sells him again to the Egyptians. Now Joseph at 17 years of age is in a totally different culture. Eating different food, different dress. They shave his head. They probably shaved all of his body. They put a black wig on his head. They put makeup on him. They tell him to eat certain foods that he's never ate before. And at 17 years of age, he goes through an amazing amount of pressure and stress and change. Would break most anybody. But Joseph, God's with him through all of this. He becomes so successful. and Actually, the dude is like very... I mean, no wonder his brothers hated him. It says that he was good-looking and well-built. The Bible says that. It's in there. You read it? You ever read something? It's like, yes, he was very good-looking and well-built. So not only is he smart and arrogant, but he's good-looking and he's well-built. Well, Pharaoh's wife starts hitting on him. You didn't know this was in there, did you? You had no idea. Pharaoh's wife starts hitting on him. And he is like too much a man of integrity to fall for it. And so eventually she gets so like put off by his spurning of, of her trying to go after him. That he has to run away to get away. And she grabs a part of his clothes and tears it off. And then she begins to say, look, this guy you hired, this guy, this foreigner that you hired, tried to rape me. And Pharaoh takes him and throws him in prison. He's done nothing wrong. Nothing. The guy had a lot going on. A lot. He's had to learn a new language. dress, culture, falsely accused. But the story relates that he's still walking with God. Still walking with him. I mean, from the age of 17 to the age of about 30, his life does not look that good. There's a lot that's going on. But through a series that you'll have to read about, Divine Moments, God rescues Joseph from the prison. God is still speaking to Joseph. God is still there with him. And when he gets an opportunity to speak to Pharaoh and to help, he has another dream. He interprets this dream. And he says, there's a famine coming. We're going to have seven years where it's going to be great. We're going to get plenty of rainfall It's going to be good. The crops are going to come in. But seven years after that, we're going to hit a famine and it's going to be bad. And I think Joseph has learned some humility during this period of time. Because he says in that exchange, he doesn't promote himself. He says what the dream means. But he never says, me, me, I can do this. You know, instead he goes, whoever you decide to put in charge, you know, they should start saving for that seven years of famine now. You should start putting away for it. These next seven years, you should plan for the famine. And whoever, you know, whoever you might choose to manage, um, make sure they do that, you know. So he's changed a little bit. I mean, that kind of life did something, I feel like, to him. And, of course, Pharaoh goes, who else? It's got to be you. I mean, you see it. You see the plan. You see what needs to be done. And so he takes him out, makes him in charge, when. Translation calls him a governor. Puts him in charge of everything. So he's gone from the pits. You know up then down again. And then up again. And so they go through the seven years. Of fruitful living. And they put away enough grain. And then we get into the famine. Two years into the famine. Guess who shows up? His brothers. Because they're starving. There's no food in Canaan. There's none. The famine is bad there as well. And so they come. All these years later, they show up. And so I want to point out three things this morning I think we can take away from Joseph in this. That will help us in our emotional journey to be spiritually mature and healthy as well. And your first one is this. I want you to notice this. Stop running the relational red lights. Because we run through them all the time. We'll get a caution like you need to slow down right here. There's something going on and we'll run right through the red light. Right on past it. We won't take any, we won't take stock of what's happening inside of us. Joseph hit a point where he stopped. He realized he could not go on and not deal with his stuff. And God saw that he did by his brothers showing up. All these years later, here they are in front. Now he could have blistered right on through it. But he didn't. Listen, here's how we do, and it's right here in 41, Genesis 41. Joseph says this Man, life is good now. I'm I'm so far, I'm so beyond my family. So he names his kids what? He names his kids Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means what? God made me forget. We're going to see how much he forgot when his brothers show up. <laughs> God made me forget. Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. Like, no, I'm not stunned emotionally. I'm not stunted spiritually. I'm not stunted in any way in my life. I am fruitful. We'll find out whenever the boys show up. The ones that sold you into slavery. The ones that, you see how we move on? Like, oh, no, that doesn't bother me. Manasseh. 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 I'm good, Ephraim. I'm good. I'm good. And yet, when you get to 42, Genesis 42, 7, this is 20 years later, right? 20 years later. How does he respond? If it was Manasseh and Ephraim, why would it say, he speaks harshly to them? Here it comes, you know. In the moment, the light is flashing. Joseph, got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this. Don't run through this red light. Stop. Stop. And a lot of times it just comes out of us, you know, in the moments when somebody reminds us of of, of some situation or some relationship and we empty on that person. And that person did, maybe they look like a certain person, maybe some behavior, some word. Suddenly they, something in, just clicked in us, and we don't even know why our response to them was so extreme when what they did was nothing. We, we don't know what's going... Red light, red light, pull over, pull over. I had a, a therapist tell me this one time. I was asking her about all these things. She said, just a visualize a, a stoplight, you know, and, and like all of a sudden your car is starting to clunk. She says, what do you do? Hit the gas and go faster? The yellow lights are flashing. Pull over, pull over, pull over, pull over. Look under the hood. Find out what's going on. Stop. Don't keep busting by the red lights and running through them. Um, we think, yeah, I'm over it. It was long ago. I'm not like my mother. I'm not like my dad. Until someone thumps the scab. And then we strike back like it was the one who made the scar. Bam. Lights. Lights. Holy Spirit, right now, help me. Help me see what this is. Lord, help me right now. Here's the story Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, This is great. Why do you keep just looking at each other? will not you get us some food? I mean, oh great. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others. Because he was afraid that harm might come to him. He's already lost one. Special son. Doesn't want to lose the other. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. For there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land. The person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived. They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Remember the dream? Remember the dream he had? When he was 17? Mm -hmm. Now he's 30. Look, Look at this. What's happening? Yep. So when Joseph's brothers arrived. They bowed down. Joseph saw his brothers. He recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them, because that's what we do. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. Not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers. The sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. No more. Can you imagine what's going through Joseph's head right then? He's got a decision to make right now. Is he going to blister right through the red light? Or is he going to deal with it? Right now. In that moment. Right then. 20 years later. God made me forget. God has made me fruitful. 20 years later. Bam. Intersection. There it is. Let's go on through 1 through 4. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself he's pulling over before all his attendants and he cried out have anyone leave have everyone leave my presence so there was no one with Joseph he's going to keep it in the circle right so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it Joseph said to his brothers I am Joseph Joseph Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Because they were terrified. (laughs) Yeah. I'll bet. He is no more. What? (laughs) Then Joseph said to his brothers. Come close to me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Come close to me. When they had done so. He said. I am your brother Joseph. The one you sold into Egypt. Stop. No pulling punches. Truth, it's there in the moment, right there. He's taking advantage of it. I'd encourage you to take your journal. If you don't have one, get one, find one. And when these things come up, just draw a big old stoplight and go, man, I hit the intersection today. What do I need to pull over and take stock of right here and right now? What is it, God, that you're doing in me now? So stop. Your second one is this. Invite. Invite God into your history. Invite God into your history. Into your past. Watch this as this story unfolds. Genesis 45, 4 through 9. He goes, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that what? God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me. Second time. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you. For you. A remnant on earth. And to save lives by a great deliverer. So then it was not you. Third time. Who sent me but God. You see what? Joseph's doing, he's recognizing God's sovereignty in the midst of so much pain and so much loss. he's not saying that God did all of that. But he's saying God sent him there. That was the route he got there. And now he's looking back on it and going, wow, God has been working the whole time. As hard as the route has been, God has been at work the whole time in all of this. He made me father to Pharaoh. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. But it's Joseph. Lord of his entire household. And ruler of Egypt. In that. He stops. And then suddenly he takes a look back. And he goes. Okay. What is going on here? What is going on? And. It's redeemed. That moment is redeemed. With his brothers. With the situation as he looks back and he invites God into his presence, into his past. I'll bet if you go back with your journal and you look at the toughest times and the biggest times of your loss, you will see God in there somewhere. I had a moment like that this week. I had heard last winter that someone had gone through something very similar to what we had with losing a grandchild. And I had tried to find this guy and I couldn't find him. Well, yesterday the surf was pretty fun. And so I go down, and there's the guy I couldn't find right there, right there standing on the beach. And so I walked over to him. We talked for a few minutes, and I said, I want to tell you something. You're not alone. You're not alone. And we had the most beautiful conversation. I don't think God took our grandson. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe God was in that moment of that conversation with another granddad who lost a grand job. Stop. Invite God into your past. Let him begin to reveal to you how he's working through all of the pain. All of the dysfunction, insecurity, all of that that's going on. Because God is in there. Invite him into the past in the book that I mentioned, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, Pete says God never loses any of our past for His future. When we surrender ourselves to Him, every mistake, sin, and detour we take in the journey of life is taken by God and becomes becomes His gift for a future blessing. Everyone, God is good at redeeming and buying back. I mean, m- most of us. Church, folks, we love to to quote 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Right? The old has gone. I'm new. I'm new. The new is here. Well, then why are you still a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a new creation, but you're still a jerk. What? You know? It's like we get confused sometimes that we're becoming who we are, that... Positionally, yeah, we're with Jesus. Jesus says we sit in the, you know, we're with Him, seated in the heavenlies with Him. We're made perfect with Jesus. But we're becoming that. God is bringing us into the future, making us what we are. And that, this is a part of the process, you know, it's the difference in position and experience. Positionally, yes, God sees us perfect. Experientially, not really living, you know there yet but you know what did David David found a place with God he would stop King David in the Psalms just go back and read through there he would find places to stop and he would call God into his pain in that moment and sometimes he would rail the imprecatory Psalms are what we call him he would rail to God where are you God in this but by the time you get to the end of that Psalm many times you will see him praising the Lord because he begins to see God's hand in it Many times, because you have to invite him into it. We invite him in That And you know, it's a good thing to invite someone else along with you. Not everybody. But one or two people that love you. You have any friends that can sit there and listen to you without trying to fix you? If you have one friend like that, you have an amazing gift. Someone who will sit there and look at you and let you talk. And let you say any and everything that's on your heart. But will not suddenly get the screwdrivers and the pliers out and go to work. Or worse, the surgeon's scalpel. You know, you're already bleeding. You're already bleeding all over them. Invite God into your past. Invite him there. Small group, find friends in there. You know, I, when we were singing a while ago, I couldn't have no, got to finish. Um, I, I, we, were, like, we ran out of that grave. I was thinking like, and I get it totally because when I was saved, I ran out of the grave. I totally get that. But in some ways, it's, we're really just bobbing out of the grave, you know. <laughs> I, I remember Lazarus? Remember Jesus raised him from the dead? Remember that? You're like, I mean, Lazarus would go, and he bobbed out of that grave, you know, because <laughs> he's got all of that wrapped around him. And what does Jesus say? Take the wrapping off of him. He speaks to Jesus' friends. Or Lazarus' family and friends. Mary and Martha and the friends there. And he goes you go take that wrapping off of him. Take it off. Invite God into your past. And your last one is this. Accept. Accept. Accept your new family. Because you do have a new family. You have a new family. During that exchange with Joseph and Pharaoh's wife. That intense temptation and attack on his integrity. And all in uh, Genesis 39. I I counted seven times in there. It says that God was with Joseph. Through Every bit of that intense time God was with Joseph. You know you are a part. If you are a Christian. You are a part of a new family. Yeah, you're still got your old in there too. But you are also a part of a new family. You are. J.I. Packer, a wonderful theologian, says this. He says, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child. And having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers. And their whole outlook on life. Everything that Christ taught. Everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old. Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish. Is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. For God. You no know, Jesus called God His Father 175 times in the Gospels. The only religion, the only religion that has a leader that addresses and then invites us to do the same, to call God our Father. The only one. John 1:12 says, "Yet to all who did receive him." To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Stop. Invite God into that situation, into those memories, into that moment. And accept your adoption. Your rebirthing into a whole new family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can lead us into these moments of healing, of understanding, and of hope. Jesus, thank you for the example that you gave us of someone who is free, completely free to be. All that the father. Wanted him to be. To not react to people. Jesus you were just. So free. And then you said that you have come to give life. And life to the fullest. For us. And Lord I think. It would please you for us to say to you. We want that life. We want that life. We want that freedom. And so This morning, Lord, would you begin a great work in the heart of our church. I pray that the walls of fear, the coarseness of life, and the scales and the scabs, Lord, of hurt and pain through our, that's gone on before us and have left their marks on us, Lord, that you would heal them up in such a way that we can look back at those scars and go, there's the grace of God. There is the grace of God. There is the presence of God. There is where, Lord, you kept me. There is where you heal me. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, Please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.